Space, the final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. Back again, party time on the party time. Excellent. Uh, on the uh, code 47 on the secret friends unite podcasting network. This is episode 92 and I am your humble servant, Charlie Carden, Trek Lord of West Michigan, fleet captain of Starfleet international, the USS Grand Petoskey joined as always by my spectacular, uh, I don't want to say side men or sidelings or cohorts, co-hosts, Co-host Orts. How about Brit? Uh, that, yeah, there, there you go. My, 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 my cherished advisors. That was the voice of Kay that you're hearing. Kay, happy Sunday to you. Happy Sunday to you, Charlie. Very good. And Peter, returning from places far unknown, uh, getting out of the torpedo on the Genesis planet that crashed on in Kentucky. Welcome back. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on! You can do better than that. I mean, all right. I guess. Anyway, uh, and then we we decided to bring in a ringer, um, SFU's um, prominent uh, third party, uh, the naysayer, the the man with a, a thousand opinions. That would be Todd Oxtra. Todd, welcome back. It's been a while. Long live and prosper, my friends. Long live, long live and right? sideways. Oh, there it goes. No, I got it right. I like it. Very You're good. Out real strong in a Star Trek podcast, there, Todd. There you go. I'm bringing you it. See. That's you, you can't count five five minutes on when we're doing holocron and I don't start talking about Star Trek. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, we've got some exciting stuff going on. We've 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 got a flux of uh, of doing something different because we don't have a new episode to talk about uh, until next month when Picard returns uh, on Feb sixteen. Uh, so over the next two episodes, we're going to be talking about some films that we've not gotten to. One of which is uh, that we're going to talk about today is a revisit from way back when, but with something extra, and we've got some new voices, but. Uh, before we get to that, we launched uh, our Patreon this week, the Secret Friends Unite Patreon. Todd and I have been making Secret Friends Unite since uh, 2014, and uh, it took Mark coming along and a bunch of heaven and hawing for us to finally, you know, take this to the next level. And we've got some new folks, uh, one of our, our upper tiers uh, of our Secret Friends squad uh, does actually give somebody uh, a little added recognition on the podcast. In this case, we've got our first three people from the, how do I, how do I pronounce the gentleman's last name, Todd? Uh, it's Nias. Nias. There you go. So it's Sean, uh, his daughter, Stella, and his son, Henry, are at our top tier of Patreon. And one of the great things they get for that is they get assigned a Star Trek alien race or race whatever, uh, and a Starfleet job. So we're going to kick it off. We'll, we'll go uh, youngest to oldest. So, uh, Peter, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. You're going to give a Star Trek race and a Starfleet job to 10-year-old Henry. Go for it. All right. Well, I'm going to give Henry the race of Andorian because they're cool. Uh, Big blue antenna. Yeah. Pretty intense. And um, for a job, I'm going to stick with my department and make you a, uh, you know, Plasma specialist in engineering. There Ooh. you go. 
Fun yeah, fact about Henry, not. he just got a 3D printer, so he is on that track of being in the engineering <laughs> Oh, realm. well, then I'll – oh, if he really wants wow. to a replicator specialist. There you go. Replicator <laughs> specialist. Very nice. All right, Kate, you're up with Stella. What's she got going on? Well, I think that Stella should be an Aloran, uh, which was the race that Guinan was or Ooh, Guinan nice. is. Um, and I think that they've – been a little under underserved for all of the abilities that they seem to have so i'm gonna say that she probably would be a number one because she's oh, gonna, gotcha she's gonna be able to keep a captain in line and also be really in touch with what's going on i think they'd be really intuitive so that's what i'm gonna say stella goes nice all right and i'll tackle sean uh who's who, who's the big boss uh he is a klingon and he is the ship's counselor. I know. What an odd couple. You know, he's get, he's going to outdo uh, Deanna Troy with instead of saying, Captain, I sense that, he's going to say, Captain, I'm going to kill them. Uh, that's going to that's gonna be his catchphrase. So, yes, Sean, Sean, the Klingon counselor, not really caring about your feelings because he's a Klingon. I so love rage, it. Rage therapy. So he and uses rage to to heal people. Right, it's that smash therapy. You know how there's all those break rooms that, that they're opening up all over the country where you just go into a room and you have a baseball bat and you get to smash old TVs or like an old like an old blender or Was something, it, you know what I mean? Did they have um, Sean in that Lower Decks episode where they went to the um, spa day and they had that Klingon in the room who was throwing a bunch of stuff and they were like, he actually went over his time by about 20 minutes but we're afraid to let him out? Right, I, th- I, think, <laughs> I think maybe that was him. I think maybe that was him. That's, that's incredible. Sean making so, his first it, cameo already. I love it. Well, good. Well, uh, Sean, Stella, and Henry, thank you for supporting us right out the gate. We are very grateful. uh, And we will talk a little bit about our Patreon at the end of the show. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, uh, Todd, you're coming back to us. You've been with us for a couple of the movie episodes. I think we did Star Trek V way back when. I think we brought you back most recently for Star Trek Insurrection, which you and I saw in the theater. No, you did not. I, Wasn't that you? I've only been on once before, and that was for obviously the best Star Trek movie of all time. Right? Oh yeah, Star <laughs> Trek Five. Yes, the the Shatner piece, the Shatner masterpiece. I swear you were on for Insurrection, but anyway, I was somebody, because that would have been a bad one for me too. I know I was, because um, I, I think that was still when I was kind of a pseudo guest, so I oh, know okay. that I was on for that one. Because I know that we haven't done, yeah, we haven't done a movie since Nemesis, and boy, did we have fun with that. Uh, but at any rate, we're um, we're gonna we're gonna take the format a little bit differently today. We're gonna be talking about the original film, Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Uh, but we're gonna talk about the director's edition, which was released in standard definition on DVD in 2001, and it received a beautiful, super duper re-release in HD uh, last year, um, and. Peter and myself sat through um, kind of a Q&A with some producers here in Grand Rapids, watched the film back in December, so we got just last month. Um, and then we, I had seen another showing of it back in May when they first released it, and of course it's on discs on Paramount Plus if you've not watched it. I, th- think, I think they put it back on Paramount Plus. There's been some, nope, some juggling of them. Now. Oh, it's on HBO right now. There's been yeah, some juggling right now. Find it, that's yeah. I hear you. I own it anyway, but yeah, it was juggling around. And actually, we do have, this is interesting, um, 
we do have an extra code for the film that I think we're going to plan to loop into potentially a Patreon giveaway. So that uh, stay tuned for that. But at any rate, because I've seen the film so much, and Peter, this certainly extends to you if uh, if you feel the same. I'm going to kind of sit back, and I think the balance of this segment uh, is going to be about uh, Todd and Kay talking about someone who has seen the film for the first time. That would be Kay. And somebody who's seen the film for the first time in a very, very long time, which would be Todd. So without further ado, uh, I, actually, uh, Peter, I'll let you read the summary that I have here. And then I say we just turn it over. All right. Go for it. So the motion picture, if you don't remember, launched in 79. Uh, the USS mm-hmm. Enterprise proudly soars again in this new, beautifully restored director's edition of the original Star Trek movie classic. This new director's cut features enhanced visual effects and a new sound mix supervised by legendary director Robert Wise. When an unidentified alien destroys three Klingon cruisers, Admiral James T. Kirk returns to the newly transformed USS Enterprise to take command. Leonard Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, and the cast from the acclaimed original Star Trek television series mobilize at warp speed to stop the alien intruder from its relentless flight towards Earth. I appreciated that you got Kirk's cadence going on there. I realized oh, that I was doing it. I was like, okay, I'm just going to ham it now. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. We, have your, now we, we have Captain Kirk right here in front of us. <laughs> right. You bet. Without the, here, without the glasses, I don't need to read anything. Oh, God, now I can't see. Okay, so, God, uh, Kay, Todd, take it away, please. What, what, what was this making you feel? How did this make you feel? Oh, it was wow. a little wandry, but it was fun, <laughs> I think. Um, I was trying to watch it, so... Again, as you said, I have not seen this. Obviously, I did not see it when it first came out. Um, I was maybe not born yet. So Definitely. I, yeah. um, and so I tried to watch it from a perspective of, you know, that time frame, how, like, theatrical pacings went, how cinema pacing went, you know, the special effects that they had at the time. So I st- basically, I was trying to watch it with a grain of salt and being like, okay, let's look past some of the camp. Let's look past some of, like, the weirdness that it went on. And... I mean, besides me laughing really hard at the fact that it took, like, 20 minutes for Kirk to, like, fly around the Enterprise and actually get to the Enterprise. It's 13 minutes. Yeah. Oh, I was like, <laughs> I, no, I seriously timed it. And I was like, I think it was 40 minutes before the ship actually left dock in a two-hour movie. That was about space exploration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we called that, when my brother and I were growing up, we called that a mercy killing. The time. <laughs> Because yes. it was just like, oh, it was, no. or, or t- uh, I think, Peter, you and I have called it, what, like, ship porn? Because it's like, oh. That's exactly that was, what it was. Yeah. No, there was three <laughs> minutes of uninterrupted, just the star zoomies. Three minutes before we even got to the Paramount logo and oh, then right. the actual credits. And I was oh, like, God, yeah. What was that? I it was honestly, just like star scene and then music. Right. I honestly my TV had broken, that I had paused it or somehow like looped it or something because I was like, what is going on? The the way to watch that, and as I said, I said I'd shut up, but I'll put this one last little bit in. The way to watch that is to have the the disc, which I do, but you turn on the text commentary by Michael and Denise Okuda, they're technical people, and there's words to fill you up while the music plays, so you get you get music in the show. Uh, But other than that, yeah, okay. Okay. That yeah, I, I always watch. 
I always watch the film with their commentary, even though it's been the same commentary since 2001. They didn't update it. But when I watched it again, I did that again. And that way you can sit through that music and just be like, okay, well, because it tells you that here's a brief history of Star Trek. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Now, I'm going on mute. Watch me. So, so Katie, it, like, so I think my history with this, you know, you're far younger than I am. Um, I still did not see this when it came out, um, but I saw it on VHS at my aunt's house because she was the only one that we knew that lived close to us that had a VCR. That's how bad, I mean, old times this was. So she rented it, and I was probably like six, and I don't remember a damn thing. I just remember it being very boring, and I'm like, okay, it's Star Trek, right? This should be fun because I used to watch TOS with my dad on Channel 50 on reruns. So I'm like, oh, I'm excited. There's going to be lots of cool stuff. No. And I'm like, okay. So now going back to this, um, to your point, and someone brought up ship porn, this made me think of, okay, this is the first time we actually have a big budget to show things we've never seen before, to do things with modern technology. And it's almost seemed like this is proof of concept to say, hey, this is, this is why we should do more Star Trek, because look what we can do, and it will be amazing. But wow, uh, other than that, wow, this movie was, it was of a time. And it almost felt like a bit of a parody of itself in a lot of ways from the original show. Um, and I don't know what it was trying to do. It was like it, it was a ma- it was like a master of none. It was trying to be like a really long episode of Star Trek, but it felt like it abandoned a lot of things you normally would get from the original series, which was at least something would happen fairly regularly to keep the pace up, maybe because it was TV versus movie. So, and obviously being a direct response to Star Wars, which just came out two years earlier, they they wanted to be something diametrically opposed to that. You know, not a lot of action, and so I don't know. It was weird. Um, some of the things I picked up, I had the um, the subtitles on because I do that when I work out, and I've got it on. There was a song title name, and I'm like, it was something like "Dream to Fly" or or something. That Life is the- just. That was yeah, the that's how that song. Yeah, that's Leah's like the theme. Yeah, in the beginning. The yeah. Song for, but, um, okay. Okay, because it was weird because yeah. it kept on coming up, and I'm like, okay, I didn't know they had the theme song name, so I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Uh, but they didn't do that for anyone else, so it's like it was just very right. odd. It's like that one specifically hung up. But yeah, it was it was definitely interesting how um, this show was a or this movie was a, I guess, trying to reinvent Star Trek in a way, uh, for a modern audience that had been matured, seen more things, you know, uh, what was it? 2001 had already been out. So we'd got more elevated sci-fi on screen. So I don't know if it was trying to be elevated sci-fi again, or it was just trying to elevate Star Trek. So I don't, I don't know, Katie. I mean, yeah, I think that, um, honestly watching it, it felt much more like TNG with TOS characters than it did with TOS. Like the little bit of that I've seen of TOS, it's much more campy, much more like kind of monster of the week flavor, where TNG is a lot of, you know, um, philosophical discussions and struggles and, you know, ethics considerations where like, there's a spot where like bones totally calls out Kirk, which I was like screaming at that point when, <laughs> uh, Kirk is sitting there and was a Decker. He's like, you stop need to stop competing. I'm like, dude, you have been competing with him since you literally stepped foot on this ship. You have been trying to undermine him. Don't you start with me. And then bones immediately is like, slap, slap, slap. <laughs> and he can get away with it too because yeah he shows up on the ship and the very first thing he does is like let's talk uh right. you're fired what yes. 
yeah, I'm the dude and whatever, and you're going to stick around, but I'm going to give you a demotion. And by the way, you're also going to be the science guy, so you got to sit in Spock's chair. So, you know, right. whatever. <laughs> we got a mission, so this but is what we're going to do. But he gave him a second job just after the fact, too. Oh, you'll also be this. Right. Like, what? Well, that's <laughs> right, exactly. The science office was exactly. fried in the teleporter because they needed to have a Vulcan for five seconds, but then they also needed to have an excuse to bring Spock back. So they fried the Vulcan in the transporter and then literally like 20 seconds later they're making fun of the doctor for not wanting to go through that exact same transporter yeah after and they were like oh said, that's cool we fixed it them? it's good yeah and he goes yeah right did you get them and he goes what we did get didn't survive long fortunately and then now like, they're making fun of in front of the doctor and like rolling their eyes because he's the one to go yeah, through yeah, right. oh goes, i am taking the space elevator i'm not setting foot in a transporter yeah right <laughs> uh and i'll kick this back to peter peter have you read the novelization like i have probably one it's sitting on my shelf okay i just don't remember I, oh on your shelf on your shelf on the bridge of the enterprise behind you there's bookshelves yeah. back there. I don't, I don't see one. It's, it's like yeah, a tiny library in your neighborhood, right? right? They have a yeah. tiny library that people can but and take books. Yeah, we have one of those couple doors down. Um, in the um, in the novelization, which was written by Gene Roddenberry, I, I, I don't know that that makes it canon. I guess that's a whole that's a bird of another feather. But um, the other person who gets melted in the transporter was supposed to be Kirk's wife. Like he got married during that two and a half years that they were home. But since he has no reaction to the fact that the people died, I'm guessing that part of it's not canon. But anyway, yeah, she was another admiral and they met and got married and whatever. But yeah, it was just like, oh. Any other media. So I would assume that that's. Exactly. Yeah. That, that does make me want to go back and read that novel again. Because if I'm misremembering, I'm mis. Or just look at Memory Beta, which is Beta Canon website for certain <laughs> books. But yeah, I, I did think the story was much more engaging as far as. It was really about like Kirk's dichotomy with Starfleet and what his relevance still was and kind of him trying to hold on to like the glory days or if he can let that go and what that would mean for him. And kind of the same thing with Spock. Um, you know, anytime I run into a dude who's sitting there talking about how women are super emotional and, you know, you need to be logic about it and everything. I'm just going to be like, OK, feature. Sure. That sounds like <laughs> okay, a great feature. idea. Because the entire. Like, what, yeah, right. I love that the entire story was about that there has to be some sort of human or emotional element to fulfill yourself, especially because there was like kind of this worship of like Vulcan logic and reason and, you know, devoid of emotion. It turns out like, no, actually to elevate yourself as an entity, you need to be able to have that emotional connection. And I thought that was a really cool kind of send up for it and kind of like fine, like, like the whole like it being Voyager six, like that was very obvious from the get go. As soon as it's like, I'm going to go find the creator on earth. I'm like, well, obviously this is old technology that somehow advanced itself through a wormhole or through a portal or through space alien technology. And now it's coming back looking for NASA. Duh. But in the whole, it's going to, it's going to come back and find Agamus. Watch out. Yeah. The whole like machine (laughs) baby, like watching them have sex in an alien way was really weird. (laughs) Where everybody starts going. The lights. It's so, it, and to Todd's point, it was so very of its time because it super felt like the V'ger brain complex at the end with the glowing lights and the, this felt very disco. And no one will ever forget when McCoy beams up, there's an exact moment because he's got that, he's got the outfit, he's got a shirt like this, big old gold medallion. But there's a shot 
tilted down, pointed up at the back of the uh, transporter room, which kind of shimmers. It looks like he's in a disco, and he and he is he's a, he's very pimping that big old long beard and the oh right. my god, was, it was very much of the time. Did he request? <laughs> I mean, did some actors request like the deep V uniform? Because seriously, I mean, and that was because we recall about the whole uniform thing. I don't know right. with Star Trek these days. I've kind of given up. Like, they are not standardized at all. It's like everybody bring your own. It's casual work. Dress for your day. Sometimes there's a deep V, some deep V with a collar. Sometimes it's a high neck. Spock brings in the mock T, mock turtleneck. Right. I'm like, he got to wear, yeah, his outfit. And then, like, and then, like, Kirk is, like, dressing, like, differently he goes here then he's wearing the short sleeve thing so that you're wearing Charlie right, right, but then he's right. wearing the gray uniform and I'm like and I'm like at this point I'm like they don't know what the hell they're doing like nobody understands the rules of uniforms and what you dress for it's not like it's a battle dress uniform like I, I was in the military right. there is standards for why you dress a certain you have way. like, like, you have like five outfits right that's the thing. Right. Starfleet but, but still, like even non-military organizations they have standardized dress codes because right, but, of yeah I also well, I get it that you're on a ship 24-7, and yes, you're going to have a uniform, but there's also going to be different variations, so you can be comfortable. Well, and I, sure. I, well, but I mean, but, but, but still, but I think this is like totally ridiculous. I mean, I put like, I picked out like 85 different variations and I'm like, that doesn't even make sense because then you can't even identify they, people's roles very easily. They do it really uh, well because they have the rec deck scene where Kirk calls everybody yeah. in so they can watch, they can, they watch the space station Epsilon 9 dissolve. Um, the thing is, and the, here's the benefit about that um, text commentary I was telling about by Michael and Denise O'Connor, uh, 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 Okuda. Okay, yeah. uh, if you watch it at one point when they're closer to the films, it's addressing the uniforms. The costume designer was uh, Robert Fletcher, who went on to do costumes for TNG. Wanted something. Wanted a lot of subdued tones because on the big screen, he didn't want anything taken away from the actors' faces. And yeah, you're right. There are probably ten to twelve, maybe thirteen different documented versions of uniforms in this, including the radiation suits and engineering different utility suits. There's ones that zip up. There's ones that are wraparounds. There's ones that are jumpsuits with pockets. There's, there's that are one piece. There's two pieces, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a whole dynasty, but the people who made the show and I can, who, who were in the movie and I can attribute to this personally hated those uniforms so much. It was a negotiating point to come back and make Star Trek too, that they couldn't have them anymore. And they turned them into the enlisted uniforms that you see through the rest of, of TOS and into TNG in that era. They just, they dyed them a different color and, and now they don't, about the background extras, they don't care what they wear. So, but the main actors, that's when they got the, you know, the kick-ass jacket, the monster Marauder in Star Trek too. So I was going to ask yeah. you about some of the, the weird parts of the uniforms too, because we're in the future the the logo insignia badge like this thing? stitched on <laughs> like somebody's got a jacket I'm yep. stitching it on but then you've got like right. the the plastic thing which Whoops, sorry, I, don't know what the pur- I don't know what the purpose of that is um there's a hypothetical got, purpose hypothetical purpose Pete, Pete, and Peter and you've got a badge item but you've got a now you've got like a wristband which apparently is the communicator right. yeah now Peter go ahead you were going to speak up about the the purse scan yeah, which so is a non it's even a non canonical name yeah the wristband is the communicator at this point, which actually does return again in Star Trek Two. Um, yes, that's true. Because the other the guy was Burnham. Melt is actually a. Uh, it, it's brought in from the animated series, actually. <laughs> oh great! Is that really? <laughs> oh god! Oh boy! Uh, right. So, yep. So if you've seen the animated series, there's a couple points where they wear these belts, 
they turn them on and they have a force field that gives them an oxygen bubble. Oh, I just thought. And again, I had a dude make this for me and I swap it between this uniform and I have the gray one, which, the, you know, before we start rolling, the guys were like, no, wear the deep V. It's sexier. And this, it's a little stretchier that than I expected. That is not what Sorry I said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was Peter. He he said he, he messaged me about an hour beforehand. He just didn't if want to. If I have anything it. to say about the, the TNP uniforms, it's I never want to see them again. <laughs> <laughs> fair. That's fair. But no, I had read that this was just supposed to be like a heart, basically a heart rate monitor. It, like it would it, monitor it your vitals like, or whatever. Yeah, it can. It does the, the medical scans too, like how in TNG you're communicating. So why do only certain people have those then? If you I watch the movie, pretty much everyone wears them. Do they? Uh, yeah, okay, in, I missed yeah, that. Yeah. There's a couple yeah. points. The, okay. The, uh, engineering staff doesn't out. have them for the... Um, the red suits, the big suits, white they ones, have, yeah. They have this thing on their sleeve that's supposed to have the same function. There you go. And the red suits do survive uh, on through the rest of the franchise films. But as I said, the the jumps, like the one-piece jumpsuit, becomes the enlisted jumpsuits. And other than that, everything went the trash. It just, it just absolutely ate Yeah, the, the, the shades of of brown, like the Navy has a uniform where it's, oh, it's, it's, it's so the khakis bad. and it's ugly. And I think even O'Hara was reading some notes. O'Hara basically said, um, uh, Nichelle Nichols basically said, uh, I don't want this thing. This is not a what thing what she would wear. So it's, it's, it was weird right. that, yeah, the, 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 especially how iconic the uniforms in the TOS is. Bright, right. colorful, really right. iconic. And they went to this where everything just did not stand out, very muted. And to your point, Charlie, there was a reason. So I guess it makes sense. Right. It's just to me, yeah, the to Peter's point, that really it stood out was the Admiral's yeah. uniform that he wears at the beginning of the film because it had right. the it, metal gold pin. It was yeah. two-tone. It everything. <laughs> Right. That's and the uh, the flip side of like, oh, the, the uniforms were muted because they wanted to look at the characters' faces. In TOS, you had the, the gold, the red, and the blue because this was at the dawn of color television. And NBC really wanted to highlight that their show was in color, which is so weird. Was this movie in Technicolor? Probably. Weren't, weren't most things back then? <laughs> no, it was just um, they, it in Technicolor. Um, that was yeah, nice right. Um, I was going to ask, and, and Katie, maybe you have a, a thoughts on this too. I was a little disappointed by the lack of really alien representation in Star Trek at this point. Um, I think on the bridge crew we got the only like new race or uh, group we got was the guy with the big head. Uh, Ilya was brought in, obviously a new race. Right. I don't know if she yeah, they had been uh, introduced Delton. before. No, no, she was no, she was no. She was in the okay. Deltons, yeah. But other the than that, sexy it's like, I mean, considering like I said. Star Trek or Star Wars, what did they do? They had all these cool, like, uh, you know, visual effects with makeup and things like that, really dynamic. And in this one, it's like, nah, we're not doing that. We're going to have a yeah, little bit of this. The, on the main crew, a lot of it, like the the main cast was still majority human in yeah. Star Wars. I guess you had like C3PO and Chewbacca. Yeah. And right. so. Like, they had the opening scene with the Klingons, which I actually thought was really cool because I hadn't seen TOS Klingons before. So, I mean, besides the fact that they just kind of looked like they had that, like, you know, the, like the balding thing going on there because they had the ridge that went all the way back to the crown of their head. <laughs> so I definitely right. think they got some upgrades in TNG. Um, but I thought that was really cool. Um, I did like seeing the Dalton. I wish that they would have talked a little bit more about it besides her just being, like, super sexy and having to take an a act of, or a vow of celibacy. That was, <laughs> was, what, was what was that comic? Did he know, uh, like, did they, you know that... No, well, yeah, it's the pheromones. They're pheromones. So, yeah. yeah, are so sexually attractive 
that if they don't take an act or a vow of celibacy, then they are not allowed to join Starfleet because everybody oh. is super attracted to them. So they got a, right. I think she was actually a model to play her. Um, Percy, yeah, Persis Kambada. She was yeah, Indian, in, nat- native of yeah, India. Yeah. She did an amazing job. Like I thought she did an amazing job, especially like when Beecher took her over, but it was one mm-hmm. of those things where I was like, I would have liked to have more of her backstory come through besides just, Hey, I'm super sexy. And I obviously had a romantic past with Decker. <laughs> right. Well, and that is, it's funny. Cause that's the odd contrast between an ongoing television show where you get to learn about the characters, you know, you learn about Spock's background and you learn about McCoy's background as TOS goes on. And of course in TNG and DS9 and all the shows that follow. But with this, it's like, here's a new character. We're not really giving her, we're giving her two pieces of backstory and then the story moves forward. And then, yeah. So yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And it's a race that we've not really heard much of, but for one reference in, in Enterprise, Peter, if I'm not mistaken, because Travis Mayweather was talking about like, oh, we ran into a ship at Delton's when I was 15 because he grew up on a cargo ship. And he's like, I just, oh, I was going through puberty and these ladies were so sexy. It was just, yeah, multiple problems with Enterprise that that (laughs) Kate will tell you all about. Literally blue underwear. I thought she was just familiar with Kirk's antics and just was putting it out there. Back up. Oh, could be. Yeah. So fair. You're right. That 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 is a a double combination. It was part of his like his 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 contract to come back. Like he had to tell. Like he has to. You know, it's like that when the sexual predator joins going to a neighborhood, they have to go to the door. (laughs) So I don't know. You know what? You know what's really revolting about that is that there was, or at least that was the rumor that there was a casting couch with all through Star Trek that included. The films that it was like even Kim Cattrall and Kirstie Alley, and then this poor woman. I think if I'm remembering correctly, I don't know. I should probably shouldn't impugn William Shatner since I'll be in the Star Trek cruise with him in a month, and if he hears this, he'll throw me overboard, or at least he'll try. He's ninety. He's not that spry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay, um, I, and I did I did drop in the show notes. So as you're listening to the show notes, um, some uh, imp- I, I will call them improvements between the theatrical version of this and the director's edition. Some of the changes they made. It's, it's linked to a to a YouTube video, so please enjoy that. But um, uh, in essence of wrapping this up, let's go person to person. Let's have kind of a high and low and a final thought. So let's start with Peter, who's been the most quiet of all of us, even though I said I would shut up and I didn't. But Peter, high, low and franchise contribution. Um, well, for me, at least for the director's cut, the high was... Um, seeing the Enterprise in all of its HD glory. Um, I know we give those shots crap, but I love those shots. That's really the only part of the movie that I I thoroughly enjoy. Um, Really, really works. Yeah. Because there's moments where when I saw it in the theater, it was like, man, it almost looks like they re-rendered it. They didn't. They just grabbed all the stuff and recomposited it, and it looks amazing. Right. Um, So for me, the updated starships were the best part of this film. The starships are always the best part of the film for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, low. Um, this is a <laughs> 45 minute TOS episode dragged into two hours. <laughs> um, drag, and, drag kicking and screaming. And it feels like it. Um, it's got a decent story. Um, it's a classic TOS style of like exploring humanity and what, and, like, what does it mean to be human with that dichotomy between logic and reason and all and reason and emotion? Yeah. Um, like, so it's got a good, there's good bones to a story there. 
but the the execution is, in my not so humble opinion, meh. <laughs> um, and the legacy to the franchise, I guess, is um, it gave us some spectacular new uh, venues being in cinema. We could see the Enterprise on the big screen. The redesign of the ship is one of the best Starship designs that Star Trek has ever had. Um, and it, it just kicked off a new era where we got to see the TOS characters in longer adventures. Thankfully in the next one, we get a little bit of a better adventure. Um, <laughs> but like that was its legacy. It kicked Star Trek into a wider field where you could see it in more than, more than just reruns. Um, and then right. eventually led on to the plethora of Star Trek we have now. So the plethora. Excellent. Cool. Todd, take it away. Oh, wow. So highs, uh, I would say that I think I don't want to repeat everything Peter said, but I think it was the attention to detail you'd never seen before. Um, like I was thinking about when the ship was going out of, of, of dock and you saw the little crewman on the outside doing a flip. Yeah. And that, was an, that, yeah. that was something they didn't need to do, but it was attention to detail that was very cool about people being very excited about the Enterprise relaunching. So that was, that was really cool. Um, I think it was amazing that the last time people probably saw Star Trek before this came to the big screen was probably on a 16 inch TV crappy visuals. I mean, so even just the medium of being able to see something on the big screen in a, in a much better visuals, it was amazing. Um, and once again, uh, having, this is kind of the first thing I can remember having a franchise reinvigorated with fan fervor and like a proof of concept this can work and so i think that's the biggest contribution that they showed that this could work um i don't think this movie did that great but obviously to pierre said the next movie is what really cemented it was going to stay around um so mm -hmm. that was great um that we got that but you did you, they had to walk before they could run so right that's kind of where i would say um and you know what we got some classic things that we loved which was the kirk and the spock and the mccoy so we got classic back of that. I did love the the scene in the officer's lounge, and you know, uh, McCoy just rips off Spock. Him changed picture, just as warm and personable as ever. And Peter, what is it? What's the what's the retort? I love it. Just say it to me. I don't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> oh my god! Classic Peter. <laughs> I think doesn't he, he says think about how he's logical. Like he, he says. Yes, nor have you, Doctor, as your continued predilection for irrelevancy demonstrates. That's yes. right. That's <laughs> classic zing, buzzing. I yes, love um, it. So much uh, zing. So low points. Um, I think, once again, Peter hit so many things. Uh, good structure of a classic story, you know, like the anomaly, don't know what it is, have to investigate. Then it's resolved. And um, the, the points that I think because they wanted to do like a more of a cinematic experience. I think that's what led them down the path of like these prolonged looks, a lot more of the orchestral theme coming through. I said, that should mm -hmm. be a drinking game. Every time you heard those classic Trek themes come on, it was oh a God. lot. <laughs> I nearly oh, yeah. got a heart attack because the leveling was so bad. The voices oh, were so yeah. quiet. And then all of a sudden it'd be like trumpets. Oh. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what? I, I don't think we saw anyone's acting game raised. So I think it's probably might have a direction problem because the amount of times I heard the call and the response of Spock and then Spock. Spock. 
And then it's like the back and forth. Uh, So I don't know if Kirk was doing like an impression of himself at this point. Like that's what he remembered his acting was like. So it's like, I'm going to raise it to 11. Uh, But other than that, I think um, what the really disappointed me, this is bringing back the the crew and essentially they were reduced. Everybody else, but the three majors Mm -hmm. were reduced to like one line here. Very generic. It could have came from anybody else. It could have come from somebody we never met before, but these are classic characters that should have something, you know, some growth or something like that. So they could have completely changed the plot to do more with the rest of the characters. So I think it was a big missed opportunity that we finally got more growth with those characters. Once again, felt felt like they were really underserved uh, to that. So that's a mm-hmm. really big disappointment for me. Um, and under that, it did feel like the classic, uh, I think Isomo- Asimov actually gave some story like help to make sure things worked. Yep. Um, you sure did, yeah. I mean, maybe this is me just watching too many sci-fi things. This felt like a very similar premise we've seen a billion times before, but maybe back in 1979, this wasn't as uh, more of a rote premise, so maybe it was more original back then. But when I watch it now, I'm like, Katie, I think you said, yeah, I knew where this was going, so it didn't feel yeah. very original. But yeah, I mean... I mean, um, it, it, was spun, it was spun right off of a TOS episode called The Changeling, which had a, a, a rogue droid they find in space that it's the exact same thing. I'm from the past. My circuits are damaged. I'm trying to find my creator. I mean, it was it was the same shit. So yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and, and then lastly, um, the <laughs> I guess the thing that would be the why this is still important for Star Trek was they took they got the theme song for the next generation from this. So I'm like, <laughs> I didn't realize that. Now I'm like, oh, I guess that's what happened. So very cool. Well, if you get the gotcha. Farpoint soundtrack, you can hear the original theme that they were going to use for Next Generation. Oh, Be happy we didn't get that. Ooh. Was it as bad as Enterprises? Yeah. No, <laughs> it it just feels very, very mid eighties. Oh, it did not. It did Synthesizers not. Synthesizers and <laughs> no. It, actually, if you watch Farpoint, you can hear the theme. They use it oh. in the, especially in the first season. But right. it's it's one of those like if it had been there. TNG yeah, and right. out of age as well as it. Nice. Not exactly as classic. All right, Katie, uh, take us take us home. I'm I'm gonna forego this for time, but I, I will let, I, I want to hear your thoughts before we before we wrap it up. Yeah, I think um highs for me were um like being able to see the crew for some of the first times and really being able to um watch it grow and watch at least like Todd said, with a core group, you got to see a lot of kind of growth and dynamicism between them, which was really, really enjoyable. Um, Lowe's for me would definitely be that it felt like I was watching two different stories because you had the whole V'ger like in like tension with Spock trying to figure out like if his human side, he should embrace it or if he was trying to forgo that. And then you had this whole, like, Kirk, am I relevant? Am I not relevant thing going on? And I would have really wished they would have just foregone that other part and just focused on Spock's story and the catalyst between him and Beecher. Because I think that that was a much more interesting situation and you never really got the full idea of why that draw was there. And so I would have really, really liked to see more of that. And I also agree that I think, like, Ohura had one line besides just being, like, background noise. And I mm-hmm. really was disappointed that the secondary crew didn't get more um, front time than what like other crew members did. They've got these brand new crew members that I do not right. really care about or know about. And they're major catalysts in this story pushing forward. And I was just like, okay, yeah. sure, yeah, right. I guess. <laughs> 
I mean, you um, can really tell with those secondary cast members, even in the opening titles, because there's 10 names on one play card and guest starring blah, 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 and it's everybody. So it's just, right. you're right. They're all, just, it's a big ball of twine. You know what I mean? Of all those characters. Mm -hmm. And I think as far as legacy to the franchise, I think it really did a good job of cementing itself as something different than Star Wars and saying, we are not Star Wars. We are going to be something different, which I think was really, really important. Like, you know, to Todd's point, this came out two years after Star Wars did. And so to come on and be like, we're not going to be like, you know, fantasy sci-fi, you know, we are going to be philosophical discussions about what the future of space exploration could mean for humanity. And not that there's anything, you know, better or worse to either of those, I love mm -hmm. both of them equally, but it does mean the reason why I can love both of them equally is because they are so different. And I think that that's what really helped bring a Star Trek and make it so that it could be a separate movie and it could be its own thing and they could keep growing because they were both growing in different directions. Right. Right. True, 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 true. Wow. This um, this has been really dynamic. I've uh, this is um, I've really appreciated this. So um, Todd, thanks for joining us. Um and uh, wow, I just, it's, it's kind of crazy to wrap it up. So Todd, where do people, I mean, besides the obvious, where do people find you out there on the internet? Yeah, at Tioxtra on Twitter, that's where I primarily stay. And for, just appreciate everybody uh, joining us on this journey of Patreon as we join that. So go to our Patreon page, uh, go to patreon.com slash unite and uh, learn more about us. Once again, uh, glad I could join you guys. This is a lot of fun. I'm a big fan of Star Trek, but not as, you know, not as devoted to it as you are, but uh, I love hearing about it. I'm glad we have a show. I'm glad we have a show about this awesome. and it's great. Me too. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, Todd, we'll bid you adieu. We're going to take a brief pause and we're going to come back and tackle the end of season three of Star Trek Next Generation. We'll be right back. Oh yeah, back for part two. Hello. That was an awesome conversation about Star Trek motion picture and having Todd in. He, uh, he, what can I say? He's good at this. I love having him around sometimes. Uh, but anyway, we are wrapping up uh, what some, including myself, would be considered kind of the, the vanguard of, of what changed things around for Star Trek Next Generation, uh, season three, uh, which is now we're getting into late in 1990, uh, and the show is getting into its final stretch of six episodes, uh, most of which I think are, are huge winners. Um, but let's kick things off with the fun one. Uh, Katie, this kind of got your name written all over it. Why don't you take the first episode. Thanks. <laughs> All right, I, I love Peter. Thank you for that face. If you're just being like, no, man, this is going to be. <laughs> All right. So we've got episode 21, Hollow Pursuits, um, directed by Cliff Bull, written by Sally Caves, uh, aired April 30th, 1990. Uh, Lieutenant Reginald Barclave uh, uses the holodeck as an escape interfere, or as he uses use of the holodeck yeah as an escape, interferes with his duties. Excuse me for trying to read that. <laughs> That's, I wouldn't, yeah, it happens. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Enterprise suffers from a mysterious and random malfunctions. Oh, so I will say I like Barclay a lot more now than I did when I first saw this episode. <laughs> like his redeeming sure. factors in Voyager and, um, you know, as his character progresses, I understand the social awkwardness that he has as someone who also has a lot of social awkwardness that I've had to try to work through. There feels like there's a lot of violation that happens, not only with having, like, it's one thing to have people in the holodeck so you can kind of like, you know, 
have, you know, vent some steam or something, you know, have some weird interactions. Mm. Sexual interactions, I would say that might be some gray area consent things. Especially when we get into lower decks and find out who's got to clean all that up. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> so it was very much a, uh, just a lot of creep factor for me the entire time watching it. Just very, very cringe. As I said, I have, I have been um, on the receiving end of several Barclay type characters in my life, and <laughs> I, oh, I just, I was not vibing with this episode. I don't know. What do you, no. what do you guys, what do you guys think? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I totally agree. Seriously, it's, it's played for laughs. In uh, and, and, and again, consent issues. Same thing Riker said. Well, people shouldn't be recreated on the holodeck essentially without their consent. And I, I can't disagree with him there, but yeah. you know everybody does it. Um, but, you know, you can really empathize with Jordy. And I really like early on, he's like, you know, we just got to get rid of this guy because I can't stand to be around him. And he sucks. And they're talking to Picard and he's like, uh, well, that's kind of your job to find a way to make him a yeah. part of your team because you're his commanding officer. So why don't you, you know, knock it off? Um, yeah, so I, I like that Picard, you know, captain's got a captain. Sometimes you got to take, you know, the uh, the drama and put a pin in it and deflate the balloon. Because, yeah, Jordy, both Jordy and Riker were like, yeah, he he sucks, dude. And, you know, he got pawned off on us by this other captain who said he was great, but he knew he wanted to get rid of the guy because he's a weirdo. And then, uh, you know, Picard has that little speech. It's too easy to just get rid of somebody that everybody thinks is a problem. So, you know, what? we're going to address this. You're going to be a CO to this guy. And it's they end up becoming best, best buds, right. um, which is super, super cool. It's really great because once, you know, Picard kind of slaps Jordy in line and is like, hey, what are you doing to help this guy then? Like, are right. you just continually antagonizing him? I mean, they're calling him Lieutenant Broccoli for Pete's sakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, which is super, super not adult or mature. Or yeah. And so yeah. I think that that helped Jordy kind of see like how they were talking over him every time Barclay had an idea. Like you saw with Wes where they were just kind of, you know, not necessarily sparring, but it was just that kind of like competitiveness of like, okay, talking over each other. Like, let's just get ideas out. And Barclay needs a moment to be able to you know, really articulate right. what he's thinking. And so Jordy calls Wes out on that. It's like, hey, listen, you know, you didn't do anything wrong, but you need to give him a chance to speak before you just talk over him right. so that Barclay can, you know, build his confidence up. And I thought that side of this story was really, really great of watching Barclay kind of come into his own and seeing how having a good support structure can really help someone flourish. Right, right. No, I love it. I love it. Peter, how about you? I think you kind of hit everything on the head for what I think about this episode for the most part uh, with Barkley's yeah. character growth and everything. I love Barkley over the course of time. He is right. also a character that I can relate to on multiple levels, not the creep part. It's just <laughs> right. you make your own hollow deck characters. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of that probably, you know, speaks to a lot of the social anxiety that maybe a lot of Trekkers have, you know, yeah. I mean, people who oh, enjoy yeah. Star Trek. So, so he's really, he's the, he's the every man, kind of Star Trek character because not everybody is a Kirk or a Riker or a Data or a Picard. Some of us are just, you know, regular schlubs that, I mean, he describes himself. Yeah, he says, you know, you go to a party and you feel more comfortable studying a potted plant in the corner than speaking to anybody. You know, I mean, and that's, you really, you know, hit the the nail on the head with this. So, yeah, I was was pretty impressed. I, I do have to say, I do appreciate some of the humor in this, mostly the character moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one that really stuck out to me was like when 
Troy tells Riker, oh, you can't just start deleting things, blah, 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 blah. And then there's the version of her, and she's like, oh, no. And Riker's like, belay that. And then you just get this, this shit-eating grin. Like, yes, it's not the greatest, but just the, the crap between the two characters. Just right, yes. exactly. Well, he made Riker super, super short. Yeah, he's super short. And <laughs> yeah. And then it's just like, well, some people find your height intimidating. You see Riker go, Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that whole bit where they have to face that that's just yes I, and I think yeah. if they would have taken out the sexual aspect of the doctor and troy it would have been yeah. so much better right. but the weird like sexual conquest that he had with those two kind of playing yeah is really like right. the goddess of empathy part with if you when i was a kid i didn't pick up on any of the sexual stuff so to me it was sure. just like oh look it's you know, Athena, whatever. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. And then I moved on. So to, me, it's just a, to me, it's just a funny moment because when I first saw it, it was just, there wasn't any right. sexual connotation. Just like, he's right. got Troy dressed up and she thinks it's fun. She doesn't like it. And Riker's giving her oh, crap boy. for it. So, yeah, that's, no, so no contextually, that's why I think that's funny. But, <laughs> but yeah, the humor in that, in the episode is, it's got some misses, but it's generally pretty funny and right yeah it's definitely like a hit miss like where it's really where it's strong it's really really strong and where it's weak it's like yeah yeah right i mean that's exactly that's for a lot of season three of tng where they're like Mm -hmm. right they hit really really high points and then when they go low you're like ooh, that's low (laughs) yes all right well cool let's move it along uh peter next one is you ah the most toys Directed by Timothy Bond, written by Sherry Goodhearts, aired May 7th, 1990. Kivas Fajo, you'll hear that name again. An obsessed collector is determined to add data to his private collection of unique items. My, my, my. Yeah. Um, This episode is decent, I think. It's not like my favorite, Mm -hmm. but it's decent. Um, You get a whole bunch of... uh, kind of commentary on materialism and what it Mm -hmm. means to just you know i just want things and it doesn't matter what it takes for me to get it and if and if one of those things is a person who cares Um, right yeah the the ultimate expression so Mm -hmm. it was interesting that that whole thing but also like ultimately there's there's this distinction that data we have this assumption that data can't hurt anyone or that he won't willingly hurt someone who's unarmed or whatever. Right. Um, he's pro- basically Asimov's r- rules of lo- laws of robotics where he can't willingly <laughs> hurt. Can't, can't kill all humans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's a moment in the end, which I found very interesting and, and they, they focus on it for a second um, because they, they want to leave it nebulous, which is classic TNG, which is really, really good. I think. Um, right. But there's a moment right. where Fajo kills his assistant while she's trying to help data escape. and and then you see data pick up the phaser he points it Mm -hmm. at him and fajo's like oh you're not gonna kill me and then he did (laughs) did that exact dance yeah Mm -hmm. he's he's kind of doing it like this but (laughs) (laughs) um yes hands yeah so so then right at that moment data is beamed up and I think it's o'brien on the controls at that point but he's like sir i think there was a phaser discharge you just see data go Hmm. And I, he says like a brief thing of like, I don't think so. Um, but <laughs> it's one of those like data was faced with just unadulterated murder and 
we had this split second where data had like a very, very human moment. This is one of those moments where data just acts humanly in spite of himself. Like he's not fully aware of it and Mm -hmm. wants to basically avenge that upon the, the inflictor of this was, this was a grave injustice and you need to be punished for this. Um, And I thought that was interesting. Like, is it the right response? That's why TNG doesn't answer that. They leave it nebulous. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. But the to fact be the that debate, we see that's that horrible. And then the, the, the instinct, and that's showing Data has human instincts, right? His instinct is to respond and to be like, no, you did something wrong. It, it's, it's something where there's a, char- there's a character building moment and it's a step towards humanity for Data. We can argue whether it's a good step or a bad step, but it's a step. See, and that's interesting because yes. I saw that as a different type of point because Fajo is sitting there arguing like, oh, you want to like kill me and re- avenge her, but you can't. And I'm going to keep you here regardless because you can't hurt me. And right. oh, yeah. Fajo ends up making this argument kind of for his death where he's saying you cannot escape and I will keep you. And I will be, you know, you're basically your tormentor and your captor. So in Data's mind, I was like, oh, no, logically, he's going to look at this as, yes, you cannot kill unless it's out of self-defense. And at this point, this is self-defense because for him to be able to survive and for him to be able to escape and do what he was programmed to do, he's going to have to kill this guy. Yeah, there's that too, right? Yeah, that's why I took that of like, like, logically, you're not making a case for yourself, bud, because Mm -mm. Data can reason this out then. I must have forgotten that line, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I I know, yeah. yeah. Super, super creeped out by it now. As far as like what Data's reasoning was. Right. No, I agree. You know, this this is an episode that I, I think maybe unparalleled their high state hide. I didn't I, high. And I didn't necessarily think there was something that where it was kind of, you know, sucking the sucking the bottom of it. I think they hit all their points correctly. And much to Peter's point, you know, they, they left so much of it up for conversation and interpretation, which is really what the best of, of this kind of thing can do and what TNG has to offer and where they are, you know, really starting to hit their stride with a, a solid group of writers and a solid, you know, kind of uh, overlay, you know, hate or love Rick Berman, you know, and Michael Piller, if you will, or, you know, that, that whole group of them. Uh, but they were really, they were really settling upon something special at this point and, and, and starting to get, I think, a unique perspective that created discussion, which is, I think, what really engaged this. Uh, as so much of a show that touched, we always say over on SFU that touched the the four quadrants of, of viewers, you know, men, women, over a certain age, under a certain age, to get kids and, and older people, uh, you know, adults and, and older adults really enjoying it for different reasons. So I think it's a, it's a good example. Of it. So awesome. All right, moving along. Lucky number 23. Well, it's my lucky number is Sarek directed by Les Landau, a uh, story by Mark Cushman and Jake Jacobs. Don't know either one of them. Teleplayed by Peter S. Beagle. Great name. Ne- never heard of him. Um, from May of 1990, the Enterprise is plagued by an outbreak of violence when it is visited by the renowned Vulcan ambassador Sarek. Great piece of trivia. Sidebar was having a conversation with my mother yesterday, uh, and she just totally threw this out there. I put it in our Discord if you happen to read it. Mark Leonard, who was not only Sarek, Spock's father, was the first bumpy-headed Klingon in Star Trek The Motion Picture, which you heard us talking about, and then also played the first Romulan we ever saw, also with the pointed ears, from Chicago, grew up in South Haven, Michigan. 
I had no, I, all these years, I was like, I, I said, I was, I was, I was owned by my mom on that one because <laughs> South Haven is my mom's hometown. We do, we do photo shoots there with the chapter from time to time because it's such a, a beautiful locale on Lake Michigan. So anyway, I thought that was super cool. Sorry for sneaking that in. I was going to put that in the first part of the show, but it, I didn't, I did, I did not. Uh, anyway, we discovered that Sarek is suffering from an incurable disease. So Picard must allow a mind meld with him so that the ambassador can complete the last vital negotiations between the Federation and the Lagarins. Wow. A lot going on here. Um, great bridge. And this was the first, I would say, more vital bridge, with the exception of, you know, the fact that D. Kelly put on all the old age makeup and we saw him for 60 seconds in uh Encounter Farpoint, the pilot episode when he was walking Data around the ship and telling him about the, you know, the the value of the name Enterprise and treat her like a lady, she'll always take you home. That was great, but it was cameo. This was fully fleshed out, um, leaving a lot of a lot of Easter eggs. Spock's name gets dropped more than once. Picard says, when I was a young lieutenant, I attended his son's wedding. You assume that's about Spock. But then again, Spock ends up having so many other family members. He's got a he's got an adopted sister. He's got a half-brother. Uh, so you're assuming Spock's wedding is to whom? A lot of people think that was to, to Savick, but you never can tell. So just a lot of great Easter eggs kind of connecting overall what is now a, a burgeoning world uh, between TOS and then TNG era, which will shoot forward and give us so much more. Um, and then giving us just a, a stand-up spectacular appearance uh, or it's a performance by Patrick Stewart as playing the emotionally ravaged uh, Sarek when they do have that mind meld, which gives Sarek the ability to resume his confidence in his normal poise so he can go forward and, and complete this vital negotiation with the, with the race that we've never heard of before or since or why it was so important. Dunno. Don't know, don't care. It's really, it's some, it's somewhat inconsequential, but for the fact that it's important. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like this was kind of hitting it on all spots. So what do you guys think? This was the chunk I feel like of uh, season three that just, Pat, Patrick Stewart just ate it because there were so many episodes where he just really shone as far as his acting skills and his job. Like you can see that classic theater training come forward. You can see this, like just the skill that he has and the reason why they gave him, you know, this role is because he's able to hold himself to such a caliber. And it is just absolutely great. Peter. Um, I really like this episode. Um, I, I particularly enjoy the, the, that weird balance that they have with Sarek where they're like, Mm -hmm. he, is like he's a distinguished diplomat like he has legacy he's this really famous person but he also has a mental condition and he and it's degenerative like you know it's getting worse and how they handled it like it felt very real where like their people are hiding it from him to an extent they're hiding it from everybody else if they can um and they're not managing it like they're just like it's kind of the oh no it doesn't exist do, 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 do. um right We'll just, and, we'll just power on through it. It'll be just fine. And I thought that it was interesting how they kind of worked through that and eventually got Sarek himself to face that. And like, okay, I have to see that I have this. No one else wants me to see this. I need to see this. I need to do something about this. Please help me. And then Picard is willing 
to help. And I thought that was a really beautiful thing where you have, like, it takes them a long time to like figure out what's going on and all that. And there's drama and that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and it, it does really have some underpinnings of ageism to it as far as yeah. like our fear of acknowledging, you know, as we get older and the, the issues that we might face while we're, you know, while we're growing older and how people won't let us acknowledge that or try to hide it from us because they think, you know, we're too enfeebled or we're too fragile, you know, or they just don't want to acknowledge it themselves because they know that inevitably it's kind of a mirror of, you know, I might be this person and I wouldn't want to acknowledge it. So I'm not going to let them acknowledge it. Right. And yeah. And yeah. So that's one of the things that I really, really like about this episode. There's a little bit of continuity later with Sarek. Um, where we get the wrap up to all this. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But it's also just kind of a nice thing to see like characters be vulnerable in this way. And this is one of the episodes where they actually right. do that. And they do that really, really well, I think. So solid episode. Rock solid. Oh, Katie, you are not in luck for getting the jokey episode. So you're back around for the next it's one. Okay. Sorry. This is a great episode. Yeah. <laughs> Menage <a> Troy. <laughs> Tra la la. Yes, um, directed by uh, Robert Legato, uh, written by Fred Bronson and Susan Sackett. It aired May 28, 1990. Um, the Ferengi kidnap counselor Deanna Troy and Loxana Troy um, and Camille, or Commander Riker. And this episode was, I thought, just a hoot overall. I mean, again, this yeah. is one of those where you can almost see Patrick Stewart trying just not to laugh because he is he just can, enjoying himself right. so much he as he's waxing. Yeah. He is yeah. waxing on poetically yeah. about his oh, love the memes. Of Troy. And it this was gave you the Picard. so good. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. So oh my God. I thought overall it was, it was just a lot of fun. I mean, you had these Ferengi who thought that they were going to get away with just outright kidnapping people. I mean, and of course, Luxana is being Luxana and trying to, metal in Troy's love life as Troy and William Riker are just trying to have, you know, a nice casual, maybe too casual, uh, you know, some leave little, time. Little, little, little smoochy poo. Yeah. Fine. You know, maybe just, maybe just some, you know, friends with Benny's and, you know, while they're having some breakfast Why? Benny's out in the park, you know. Why the hell not? You know, it's the 21st yeah. century. Exactly. You don't really oh, yeah. know no up. shame. No shame. Yeah, no, um, they should do and that. And so these Ferengi decide that they're going to kidnap them uh, because they, one of them decides that he's in love with Laksana, or, well, in love, as much as a Ferengi can be in yeah. love. Wants to um, possess. He's, a, he's, a, he's yeah, in love with her. With her, be, with her love her to possess. That's a good way to put attributes, it. Yes. <laughs> possess her attributes to further his, his cause of profit, which is the only thing that Ferengi pursue. Is, yes. is is latinum is money so and he has well her telepathy can help my negotiations because even the Ferengi military it's weird because you know the Ferengi have their you know Ferengi defense force whatever the hell they call their military where they've got their little ships and blah blah but they're all still like Quark in so much that they're they're all working a hustle all the time to make money which is why even going back to the very early in in TNG, uh, they were like, well, the Ferengi are going to be the new Klingons and blah, blah, blah. And it was finally, they just up and said, well, you can't really have a villain that they can get what they're looking for by, by getting it out of a replicator. You know, they're, they're not, they're not bloodthirsty warriors. They just, they want money. So it's just, it's not that villainous. So anyway, but, uh, yeah, it was a gem. Peter, Peter, how about you? I've actually only watched this episode all the way through once. 
Um, eh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun, but I don't I don't know. Luoxana Troy episodes for me are always a hit or miss. And yeah. for me, this one is kind of a miss. Well, it was it, it, it was part. Yeah, it was for me, I, I just yeah. I, I don't yeah, always not. like when she starts meddling with Troy's love life in, in a very particular way, and then it's just like, I don't know. It's not my favorite. It's not I a bad we, a lot It of is good a very moments. classic mother-daughter dynamic that those two have. Yes. And so I can yes. very right. much relate with Troy at a lot of areas. Yes, <laughs> by, what, by what you've described. Yeah, I, I, I totally see where you're coming from. <laughs> this is also the episode where, because uh, Wesley saves the day, as he has like 50 other times. But Picard finally gives him a reward for it. He gets promoted out of the acting ensign jumpsuit that I noticed that because he wore it in seasons two and three. If you notice when he turns around, the back of it doesn't latch. If you ever notice as he walks away, like yeah. it zips up in the back like like pants do. But yeah. the like, of- there's a top part of it that does this. So anyway... Wesley finally gets graduated to be a real ensign, so he gets a real uniform. And it's funny, he walks out of the turbo lift at the end, and he's so skinny. It's like, what is that? That looks like it came from TNG, the baby Gap. That's like a little <laughs> ass outfit. You know? Oh, that almost could definitely be a better name for the episode. Team. Yeah, definitely. Oh, my God. Team, uh, oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, it yes. did allow him oh. to look pretty cool going forward, though, because wearing the oh. duty uniform looked way better on him than that. that oh, yeah, than any of the weird sweaters or that yellow. Or well, the first season jumpsuit was just one. awful, but the yeah. gray one was yeah. like, it was okay because it had the same sort of look, but it was like, meh. Right, it was like, meh. Exactly correct. So anyway, um, okay, Peter, you get the penultimate episode of the season. All right. Episode 25, Transfigurations, directed by Tom Benko, written by Renee Echevarria. Comes, that name becomes very popular. Big um, time. Yeah, he's a big dude later on. Yeah. 1990, the Enterprise rescues a humanoid with amnesia and incredible human powers. Healing powers. I'm sorry. I can read. Um, Healing human powers. Yes, he does that which, too. Which he does. He does. Yeah, big he, time. Brian's shoulder. That's great. This is yeah, one of the first times i O'Brien decided and, to do something and, dangerous on the holodeck, and then he continued right. to do that. Yeah, and he brings the time, time, time it's mountain yeah. climbing. The other time it's yeah. something else. Like, O'Brien, can you, like, maybe turn the safety protocols on? I don't know. Like, right. I'm like, I mean, how the ones you dislocate your shoulder with safety protocols? <laughs> because, yeah, and I think tur- turning them off, is it's a terrible option because you're just giving people, you know, license to – do dangerous things, which would be the case in the real world. So anyway, I, I, I think we're splitting hairs here. But anyway, about the back to the episode. Um, so this is um, another episode where, um, well, actually, this is one of the first episodes where we see the evolution from corporeal to non-corporeal beings. We've seen non-corporeal beings with the Organians in TOS. And right. the Medusa, I suppose. But Medusa, this is yeah, the like first the time that we've seen that transition. <laughs> you see a corporeal being become an energy-based life form. And it's kind of interesting where like the whole idea is, are we fighting becoming what we are meant to become? Um, and they, they phrase, they, they position it as a physical thing. Um, but mm-hmm. the whole concept is like, do we, are we afraid of the things that we need to change Are like, we're supposed to change going forward. Right. And so you have like, his society, like they kill the people who have this gene so that they can't 
take the next step to become a non-corporeal entity. And so then there, there's the conflict there. And eventually it comes to a point where, um, I mean, he doesn't know this, obviously that's where the amnesia comes in. And so it takes them a while to figure out where he comes from. They eventually go find his civilization and all of this comes out. Um, but we see the bit where like at the end he evolves and then he's like, I, I'm not going to seek retribution. I now have powers, right? I can, I can destroy your ship if I want to, but I'm not going to. Because he evolved. I, yeah, exactly. I've evolved. I, I've, I, I understand that this is not who we're supposed to be. Um, and you, you should, you should strive to be more like me sort of deal, and, but not like the arrogant way, like what we hear of you need to be like me because I'm better. That's not what this is. Um, mm-hmm. but so I think that the, 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 the moral story, as you could say in this episode is, is a pretty solid one. Um, so yeah, I, I tend to like this episode. It does get a little slow with some of the recovery stuff with, um, right. And you, and you do. Have yeah. Cause, kind of cause a he's, a, he's basically, he's oh, basically right, right. a stump. Yeah. He's a stump when they take him off the planet. So it's like, here we go. It's guy. And yeah, the, oh, you're right. All the stuff with Jordy and, and, uh, what's her butt, uh, who we saw back earlier in the season and Christy, uh, and because it was the botch holiday episode where she, he's like, I set up a, a day on the beach and there's a guy playing the violin and she's just like, but now she finds him irresistible because he got, you know, he got sexy powers from uh, uh, from this John guy. And then Worf is like, I've been tutoring him. Remember? You get uh, there's some good there's some good Worf, Worf comedy in this one. I oh think. yes, Worf is Worf is very good in this one. Yeah, sure. Worf, yeah. This this is where Worf starts to become a gem. Worf yes. is a gem. Right. Exactly. Worf Instead of just, just being like, yeah. Oh, precious Worf. Katie, Katie, what, 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 what's your take on this one? Um, I really, uh, I, I agree with a lot of Peter points. I think that it was a really great way to show like kind of a metaphor for fear of change and fear of moving forward. Um, I did get hung up a little bit just because evolution, it's such a misconstrue of what evolution is. I'm like, does it just happen with one generate? It's over. It's, a, it's a just one dude. Of, yeah, it's yeah, right. over a lot of a series of generations. It's not something where it's just like that. Not recently, like because they said it's a gene that's been kind of evolving. It's like, uh, yeah, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't. It doesn't and work then that you way. Just, then you just but, turn into a glowing whatever. Yeah, yeah then exactly. you just turn into a glowing dude in a very obviously like just one of those Halloween, you know, suit store suits because you can. Oh yeah, you're right. Like the, the, the hold on, let me see. Make, make sure you take off your wristwatch. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. So I mean, like that is that just it just made it kind of funny for me. Where I'm like, aha, '90s graphics. <laughs> but <laughs> overall, time. like they did a great job of building up the relationship between John and um, Doctor Crusher without it being weird. Like at one point, Will even says he's like, "Oh, you got a you got a thing," and she's like, "No, I just kind of find him interesting." And I thought that was really good as far as showing his genuine relationships throughout the ship while he was there and the reason why they would want to be an advocate for him instead of it just being something random of like they'd kind of do with like Troy or someone else or Riker where they're just like oh yep and now they've got the hots for this person because they've known him for 20 minutes yes that, well like you said the evolving sexuality of the 24th century it's uh mm-hmm. it's 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 wild 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 west of dating uh, <laughs> so that's cool yeah i i agree with you very classic track you know and in, in seeing how starfleet defends and risks for you know new life forms which is obviously what they're all about um but yeah it's a very convenient like we rescued him and then he he, he was a stump of a person and then he regrew and then he had these powers where you know he went uh Worf was trying to apprehend him, and, and Worf got hit by a, a, 
cargo container and it killed him and the guy just went boop and Worf was fine again. Uh, oh, he threw him off, off a balcony. Well, he threw I was thinking about the episode his, where his Worf does break his neck. His energy <laughs> yeah, exactly. pushes him off right. the balcony and he breaks and he, his neck. Yeah, breaks his neck. Where later when he breaks his back in season five, it'd be awesome if this guy would come back and fix that. But then we would have had that whole great episode. I know exactly. So, all right. Well, we're moving on to the the piece of resistance, the creme de la cream. <laughs> that would be uh, Star Trek's first bona fide, bone chilling uh, cliffhanger. Peter just bone got some it. Oh no! Oh 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 oh! I, I went away from what? Of course, that's more from. But anyway, I'll, but I'll allow it. Uh, this would be the best of both worlds, part one, uh, directed by Cliff Bull, written by Michael Piller, who's you know a pillar of the Star Trek writing community. Eh eh. Uh, from June of 1990, I know Katie does not put up with my uh, with my dad jokes, but uh, it's uh, it's okay. That's why I'm in charge. Anyway, Captain Picard is kidnapped by. The Borg, as they begin their invasion of Federation space. Now, the Borg, it's a bit weird how their whole, like, oh, now they're invading because it took them this long to get here, which we find out in, in Voyager and, you know, certainly even in their appearance in, in First Contact, the, the TNG film, that they have these transwarp conduits so they can get from point A to point B in like 12 seconds. But yet, it took them this long to reach. Federation space after first like a year ago in the Q episode when they first met they were like oh that was 8,000 light years away or whatever and then they've just continued on their way here so throwing all of that out the window oh my god is this a classic holy cow I just I don't think they miss a beat <clears throat> there's some great characterization I think with Riker because you get another character who comes along who's a bit of a hot shot and she's you know we're talking about Shelby who's played by the terrific Elizabeth Dennehy who comes along and say yeah I heard that your job was up for grabs because they want to make you captain again and he's like well, I don't really want to do that because I like being here and blah, blah, blah. and he has a moment with Troy which again a postscript to a lot of the action and the excitement that happens in really in, in you know the second half of the episode uh, we're seeing a little bit of a character expl uh, exploration for him and kind of what his motivations are about why won't I move on why do I like you know being here it's because it's home you know a lot of the characters are finding that this is home for them and, and they're growing here and they can't really imagine being anywhere else so uh, right before everything goes absolutely upside down um, later on in the episode so I mean what what else can be said about this I, I, I feel like they hit all the notes um, that you know you get a lot of great character moments you get a lot of a lot of great franchise moments that obviously you'll learn to realize as, as time goes on because in the Borg's first appearance they were simply defined uh, and then whisked away and but this this brings it back to really what their grand plans are because they spent a year or, or they spent 12 seconds thinking about well this is how we're gonna uh, assimilate this this other half of the quadrant you know the alpha quadrant the federation whatever it is um by having a you know having a spokesperson and we think it should be this picard guy because he's he commands that you know it's all very it's all very by the numbers you command the flagship of the federation and you're going to be our you're going to be our propaganda guy so yeah and then of course ends with a classic moment you know the enterprise has devised a weapon that will destroy the Borg cube or so they think. Uh, and then at the very end of it, you know, they go where they try to rescue Picard. They can't pull it off. And they're all back on the bridge. And everybody's like, Riker, don't push the button. We can find a way to save him. And he's like, no, we're out of time. It's too late. 
I'm making the impossible decision. He steps up and he says, Mr. War, fired. That's the end of the episode. So Patrick Stewart very famously went on to say, you know, that uh, uh, he was going through contract negotiations in the summer of 1990 after this aired. And there was a good chance that he might not have come back. Um, but he tells this great story that he's driving. He was driving his convertible along the, the PCH in LA and somebody pulled up to him and looked over and saw it was him and says, you, sir, have ruined my summer. <laughs> With the banger. Oh, man. So anyway, I've rambled. Peter, what do you what do you think, Mr. Borg? Mr. Borg man? Uh, okay. You for like what I said. So let's give you your own. Okay. Back to Katie. <laughs> okay. Um, I absolutely uh, loved this episode and I loved to hate Shelby. I just wanted Shelby mm. to knock down so, so many pegs. Right. And I mean, I do, I did appreciate the comparison with her and Riker and being, you know, mm-hmm. Picard points out and he's like, well, I you know someone who was an upstarch type of first officer when I came aboard, blah, blah, blah. Um, back British. Yeah. And I was like, yes, that is definitely why I didn't like Riker at first or like why he mm-hmm. kind of rubbed me wrong was because there was some of that bravado that he had with him, but they like took it and turned it up to 11 with Shelby where she is just outright looking at how to undermine him at every opportunity. And I'm Yo. like, this, this is not going to end well for you. Like how in the world do you think that like no one's going to notice that you're just like predatory with how you're trying to uprank. So um, yeah, you're just trying to get his job and everyone knows. Yeah, it. yeah right. it's the fact that she's like, I, you're in my way. Like, she literally says, you're in my way at one point. And it's like, if he's not going to leave, nothing is going to get you in his spot. So yeah. right. why are you trying to, like, Admiral be kicks nice him out and that's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, but I did really, really enjoy um, the entirety of the episode. Like, overall, I, I think that like, my thought was why the Borg didn't use one of their transwarp is because at first they really didn't have much interest in the humans or, like, the Tyrants. True, true. Because they were like, you right. know, your technology. Like, they had been taking some of our technology, but they hadn't really been assimilating anyone. And then they changed right. their mind and were like, actually, you know what? I think maybe we will. So it kind of seemed like they are just kind of making a slow meander towards, like, our solar right. system while they decided. The, <laughs> the scenic route. And yeah. it's, it's worse still. It's worse still because you find out Many years prior to this, they assimilated um, Seven of Line and her parents, and her parents yeah. were from Earth. And so since they assimilated them and then had all of their knowledge, when they just said, oh, here's how we get to Earth, let's go, and they don't. So there's, there's some holes in that, but mm-hmm. it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I subscribe to a fan theory, but... <laughs> well, uh, go on. So What's fan theory? Uh... Yeah, so this this theory gets into the weeds with a fan show that I'm involved in, which I've mentioned multiple times. Um, mm-hmm. So the idea is that the Borg are actually involved in a Cold War with another race, um, if you're familiar with them, the Bluegill from Conspiracy. And yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So they're fighting there, and there comes a point where it's just like, like for a while, it's just like we don't care. So we're just we're doing our own thing. We're similar. Mm-hmm. We're gathering technology and doing our thing and then it gets to a point where this war becomes a thing and then they're like well i guess we need bodies let's go get earth because they seem to be most compatible with our technology and right, we're just right. that um so that's that's one way out of it 
you can subscribe to whatever theory you want because it's never set on screen as to why. <laughs> right. Don't need to know. But I mean, and the episode works out yeah, so well way. without it. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, it's, it's really no big deal. My favorite TNG episodes, period. Um, right. And of course, we, we technically watched the first part but but i own it as a standalone because i when they, they released this as a standalone hd bit back about 10 years ago when they put all the stuff on hd so i have that on my on my digital voodoo and i just whenever i watch it, i watch the whole thing so i mean um, kinda have but I, yeah yeah i made the poor life but, decision uh, of making that as my first introduction for some people to star trek you need a little bit more context for it to work right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. just a little bit yeah and it definitely, it right. was, I think, maybe one of my favorite Riker episodes. Just because yeah, it true, really totally. felt like character Riker had come into his own. Like, I was really, was really rooting up. for him. And it right. really just made me, like, it. it's one of those where, especially watching it, and I'm like, oh, okay. I can definitely see why people just absolutely love Riker. Like, this is the Riker right. that I enjoy. Where he's, you know, yeah. he's smart, he's funny, he's very caring, he's very charismatic. And he's really, really introspective as to why he does the things that he does. And right, like the totally. line that he gives, like he throws back at Shelby where she's like, you can't make the safe decisions. And he's like, when it comes to this ship and this crew, I absolutely will. And he's ba- yep. like, yeah. he is saying without saying like, this is my family. This is my home. Absolutely. Right? I'm going to protect it with We're my not life. Expendable. Don't treat them yeah. that way. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. God, absolutely correct. Oh, holy cow. So that wraps up season three of TNG. So uh, we'll do our regular kind of, wrap up of not only you know this grouping of episodes but really you know reaching back uh to the entirety of the season if, if you have a different one that you want to throw out there uh that you think is best and worst let, let's go for it but uh uh Kay, go first favorite and least favorite of this grouping mm, i think i'm gonna have to go with um Sarek as my favorite for this grouping um and then Probably Hollow Pursuits for my least favorite. Just again, they've got that weirdness that just kind of taints it for me a little bit. Gotcha. I would true, say true. best of Peter. Both, but I oh, want to continue the story. True. I know. No, I agree with you. And did you have a different episode in the season that that really jumped out at you that you can think about the top of your head? It's okay if you don't. Um, I can't remember all of them right now. <laughs> you can't. That's okay. I know. Remember I know. <laughs> I totally understand. All right, Peter, go for it. I know it's not the complete story, but the best of both worlds is still my favorite episode out of this chunk. Um, it's just a great episode. I love the Borg um, when they're done right. And this does it really well. <laughs> um, right. So this is one of my favorites. Least favorite. Um, I mean, really the only episode you heard me go meh was Menage a Troy. So Fair. it's gotcha. I know people love it. I just, I love the memes. I don't care for the episode. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you don't like the starring character, that that totally stacks. I, well, I don't that. mind Loxana. It's just sometimes she rubs me the wrong way in an episode, and it's just like, eh, it's hard. There's to a whole lot of whole lot of wrong rubbing. Uh, <laughs> I will. Um, from the other part of the series is yesterday's Enterprise. I know I wasn't here. Oh for God, yes, that one. That's one of my. Right. Oh yeah, that is a really really good one. I mean, you know, and again, to, to do it in reverse order, that's my favorite for the season two. I, I totally agree with you. Um, my favorite of this grouping, again, best of both worlds, because of the Riker stuff really more than anything else, because he's, he is my favorite character and kind of my, my role model for uh, 
Star Trek and, you know, I just overall like, I'll sit down in a chair that way too, but I usually just do it to amuse April because she knows I'm going to do it. Uh, <laughs> and then least favorite of this grouping. Uh, I mean, they're, they're all, they're all so strong, but I just felt like the episode with, with John, the transfiguration episode just was kind of, eh. I didn't, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know exactly why it didn't click with me, but it just, it just really did not. Not every so, episode works for um, everybody. It'd still be good. Yeah, it's it very, be and not every, yeah. Not everything can be a menage a Troy. Uh, <laughs> well, cool. Well, uh, this was awesome. So this wraps up, uh, obviously, as I said, season three. Uh, next episode, we're, we're doing a little break in format. We're going to take on the Kelvin versus JJ Star Trek films at Star Trek 09. Into Darkness from 13. And yes, we have to. Uh, and then uh, Star Trek Beyond from 2016. We're going to be welcoming uh, special Peter's guests. Peter's going to be magically Watson. sick that day, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm really ill. We're uh, welcoming special guest uh, Jen Watson, who's a cosplayer friend of ours from Chicago that we worked with uh, on some of our shoots. And it should be interesting. So that's going to be a feature-length episode where we break down those three movies. But without further ado, and I did add something extra to the outro, but Katie, you're up. Yes. More information about Starfleet International, please visit Grant Potosky on Facebook and Twitter. And new info, visit patreon.com slash secretfriendsunite for our to support our network and get access to exclusive content, interviews, and much more. Woohoo! Awesome! Well, friends, thank you as always for joining us. I'm going to tell you that sharing is caring. Keep on trekking. And wherever you go, go boldly. Peace and long life. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server. Or follow at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.